after having heard the word, heard the word I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name. Now, come on and give the Lord some praise this morning. Amen. Listen, before we get started, our, the name of our church is Fellowship of what? Charity. And so we believe that everybody's a winner, but we love, we absolutely love celebrating those who demonstrated. Amen? Amen. And so we have a champion in our house tonight, uh, this morning, and uh, we just want to not embarrass her or anything like that, but we want to congratulate her. Ariana goes to Fayetteville High School, and they won the Volleyball State Championship. So let's give them a shout out. Amen. We love Copeland. Amen. Now, now, you may ask yourself, you may ask yourself, you may say, well, what's the big deal about a volleyball state championship? Well, championships uh, translate into scholarships. Scholarship is money. Amen. Amen. And then I also want to shout out, I'd be remiss if I didn't, I said it on Facebook, but I'd be remiss if I didn't do it publicly. I want to shout out uh, Mr. Caleb Strickland yesterday. Amen. Amen. Yesterday he was at Bentonville West and they at the Bentonville um, West uh, <laughs> Forensics and Debate Tournament and he got first place in in international extent. Uh, and we found out after the fact that he actually qualified in poetry too and a couple other things. So now, I'm sure I'm going to get this wrong, so I'll let you tell me. What have you qualified for state for already? International extent, poetry, public forum debate, Congress debate. Was there a duo something? And duo interpretation. All right, so praise the Lord for that. Amen. I don't know what none of that means, but I'd be cheering like a mug. I'd be like, yes, yes, yes. When I was in school, we didn't have debate. We played the dozens. It wasn't really really the same thing. (laughs) Right, it wasn't really the same thing. But we certainly want to celebrate both of them for their academic and scholastic achievement. Uh, We want to encourage our children uh, to go beyond. And every time they get an opportunity, we want to celebrate them. Amen? Uh, when I see people's things on Facebook and they're celebrating their children, I ain't even got to know them. I'm clicking like if, if, your kid, if your kid has done something positive. Amen? Amen. So let's get into the Word of God today. Uh, this is really going to be an introduction. I told Pastor this morning I really want her to teach uh, with me next week or the next couple of weeks. This because, and she kind of said it this morning uh, when she was doing her exhortations and, and confessions. She said we're in the last push of this year. And then we believe that we're going to see more, we be, we're believing to see more manifestation between now and the end of the year than maybe some of us have seen all year, amen? And so we, we just believe that it, just because it's getting close to the holiday seasons, Jesus is still in the blessing business, amen? And so we want to uh, talk to you just about some things that, that we do in our own personal life that we believe helps us get results. And uh, one of the things that I believe, I say, we say it all the time, is that you cannot despise repetitive teaching. Amen? You, you, you cannot be a person who every time you, someone mentions the word faith or they mention the word obedience or they mention the word trust or they mention the word love, <laughs> that you just tune out because you think you know it. Amen? 
Because we know what you know in your life based on what we see happening in your life. And so if there are areas in your life where you are not seeing manifestation happen, this is a message for you. Amen? The Bible says this, and we sometimes use it in a negative connotation. It says that a little leaven levieth the whole lump. Or some, some translations say a little, a little yeast makes the whole cake rise. And how many of you know that's true, that if you're baking and you put a little yeast in with all the ingredients, it's going to make the entire cake rise? Well, sometimes we use that, at least when the Church of God in Christ would did when I was growing up, is we used that to tell people not to hang around people who were doing dirt, because if you did, then you were going to end up being dirt. Well, if that is true, the same thing is true. You can hang around good things that are happening, and then good things are going to start happening for you, amen? And so we're just believing and trusting God that all the things we've talked about this year, all the things that we've been doing, they're going to lead to a culmination of you seeing manifestation in your life. How many of you want to see some manifestation in your life this year, amen? Amen. And so I want to talk to you this morning, and I, want, and I really don't even really have a real title for it, but this is what I call it, Faith, Trust, and Obedience. Three keys or three components to bringing manifestation into reality. I am a firm believer that the things we read about in the Bible are not just for people who were back in the Bible days. That if we read about healing back then, healing's available to us. If we read about supernatural debt cancellation back then, then supernatural debt cancellation is available to us. Amen? If we read about people who trusted and believed God and put all of their weight on God and God did great things for them, I believe the same God will do the exact same thing for us. Amen? And so I want to talk about these three components. I want to talk about faith. I want to talk about trust. And I want to talk about obedience. But before I get to obedience, I feel like I need to just, just pause for a minute and, and, and really try to explain what I mean when I say obedience. And here's the reason why. You remember we taught that whole sermon series about living between grace and faith? That whole, the whole concept that we don't work for blessings? We, we don't. I know people may still think that, but you don't work for your blessing. God has already, through Jesus, made everything you need available to you. And, 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 and here's the shocking thing that gets people sometimes. It's not based on your behavior. And sometimes people think it is. People like, if you be really good, God will bless you really good. But that's not how God works. God doesn't bless you based on your goodness. Because if he did, you could work for blessings. But you can't work for blessings. Real simple, real clear. When I talk about obedience, I'm talking about obeying God from a particular place. Here is the place I'm talking about. God said this very, Jesus said this very simply to his disciples. He said, if you love me, he gave them one stipulation, keep my commandments. So our obedience to God is not out of some obligation to try to get him to do something. Listen, if God only blessed you when you were good, none of us would live as, as well as we are right now. Now that's just a fact. You, you, what, you ain't lived good enough to deserve what you have right now. Because if you got everything you deserve, your life would be trash. So the fact of the matter is God does not bless us based on how obedient we are. But you should obey God if you say you love him. So the truth of the matter is when I'm talking about obedience, I'm not talking about obedience like you got to obey God because if you don't, something tragic's going to happen. Now, we all know that there are natural consequences to life <laughs> that you can't supersede. 
If, if, if you go out here right now and you say, well, uh, the, the stop sign says stop, but I ain't going to obey it. I'm just going to take off across there. You might make it, but you might not. Another car might come and careen and down that curve and hit into you and all kinds of things can happen. So you can't just disobey God and think there won't be consequences. But God ain't out to get you because you disobey. Now, the Bible says this, and we're going to talk about this a little later. The reason it's important for you to obey God is because the Bible says that when you don't, your heart condemns you. Your heart condemns you. And when your heart condemns you, it affects your faith. And when it affects your, when it affects your faith, now you're in that juxtaposition where do you believe God or do you not believe God? And then James tells us very plainly that a man who is in two positions, a double-minded man, is going to be what? Unstable in what? All of his ways. In fact, he says, let that man not think he's going to receive anything from Why? Because his heart tells him he shouldn't desire it. And then his heart says he should desire it. And then his heart says you're not going to get it. Then his heart says he's going to get it. And because he becomes double-minded, that's why he doesn't get it, not because God's withholding blessings from anybody. And so it's important for us to start off from that standpoint because one of the things that I've been talking, several people have reached out to me and they've been talking to me uh, about tithing. And here's the thing. We don't spend a lot of time in church talking about tithing. We mention it at the end. We talk to people when they ask us individual questions. And, and it, it, there's this big debate about whether you should tithe or not. Is tithing Old Testament? Is it New Testament? Is it under the law? Is it under grace? Listen, the people who make those arguments are looking for a reason not to do. And if you are looking for a reason not to do, no matter what I say to you, I won't convince you otherwise. I don't care what you say about Donald Trump. I ain't ever going to like Donald Trump. So you talking to me about that is a waste of your time. And I ain't worried about no IRS and all the other stuff because we got all our stuff covered. I get to say that. But you're not going to convince me. So having a conversation with me is futile to you. So we don't get up and have conversations to the whole group of people about tithing because it's futile to the people. The people who are going to tithe, going to tithe. And the people who ain't, guess what? They ain't. So what you have to learn to do is to teach people about loving God. Because when you start to fall in love with God, not the idea of God, not the idea that if I, if, I, if, if I be kind enough to him, he won't send me to hell. Not that kind of relationship, but the kind of relationship that says, I'm so grateful for what you have done for me that I could never repay you. So the least I could do to show my love to you is to do what you told your disciples, which was, if you love me, keep my commandments. So when we talk about obedience today, I don't want nobody to get upset or get scared or afraid. We're talking about obeying God because when we obey God, our heart gets filled with joy. When your heart gets filled with joy of the love of God, your faith increases. As your faith increases, you find yourself winning more victories than you ever have in your life. And so it's important for you to understand that. I want to begin in Romans chapter 4. And I want to read something in Romans chapter 4, and then I want to go to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2. And I'm going to read this for you. I had this beautiful PowerPoint all ready for y'all and everything, and then the screen wasn't that great. So we're going to preach old school. Y'all going to get your Bible and your phone and your tablet and all that, and we're just going to look at a couple things. I'll put my notes up in the Facebook page, and you can have those to go through. 
So let's look at Romans chapter 4. We'll start in verse 13. When you have it, say, I got it. I got it. You ain't got to say, hold up. Yeah, all right. It's New Testament. <laughs> I do that all the time. I'm just playing with y'all. I'm just playing with y'all. I used to tell people it's on page 1,194 if you got a good Bible. All right, Romans chapter 4, you ready? Romans chapter 4, verse 13. It says, for the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law. So we're talking about Abraham. It says this promise that he was given, that he was going to be the father of, this, of, of, of the world, it said it was not given to him through the law, but through the righteousness of something else. What? The righteousness of? faith. So he received a word, not by law, but by faith. Verse 14 says, for if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of none effect. He says, so if we are people who live by the law, then faith doesn't work for us. So if you're only obeying God out of the law, out of tradition, he says, then nothing about faith is going to work for you. He says, in the same way that if Abraham had received that promise just through the law, we, it never would have came to fruition. He had to believe through faith. Then verse 17 says this. It says, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Before him whom he believed, even God, who does quicken the dead, and he calls those things which be not as though they were. Now notice. We use that scripture all the time. We say, well, I call those things that be not as though they were. But God, when, he, when, when, when this statement was originally made, it was really originally stated, what he was saying was, is that through faith, we call those things that be not as though they were. Not just because we want them. <coughs> and, and, and we know that faith, we've talked about this, faith is based on a word from God. So when you get a word from God and you say what God says, that's what causes things to come into manifestation. So he says, literally, he says, understand God looks at something, God sees it, God says it, and it comes into being. Verse 19, it says, and being not weak in faith, talking about Abraham, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's room. In other words, he says, he looked at his body, he looked at Sarah's, but he didn't consider them as, as obstacles. He says, and, 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 and in life, you have to get to the place where when God says something to you, even what you see in the natural cannot be considered as an obstacle. So, so if God says to you, hey, I got a job for you, the fact that they told you on the news that your industry wasn't hiring cannot be an obstacle for you. If God says you're going to go back to school and you say, but I can't go back to school because I got to pay this or I got to do this or I got to do that. You can't let those things become obstacles for you. You got to see God as being bigger to either put you over the obstacle or remove the obstacle out of your way. He says, and Abraham did this. How did he do it? Through faith. Not by the law, not by trying to obey God to get something. He just believed God. And then verse 20 says, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but he was strong in faith and in so doing giving glory to God. 
and being fully persuaded. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, neighbor. now's the time, now's the time. To, become to become fully persuaded. Fully persuaded. That means there are no other options. When you become fully persuaded, you don't have 95% of your weight one way and 5% of your weight somewhere else. It means you have all of your eggs in one basket. It means you trust God wholeheartedly. So the Bible says that he staggered not at the promise of God. It says that he was strong in his faith. He gave glory to God. He was fully persuaded that what God had promised, he, God, was able to perform. See, sometimes we get a word from God and we judge the basis of that word based on how we can perform it. God gives you a word to do something, and the first thing we start to do is to make a checklist about our own abilities. We do a pro list and a con list. And if our con list comes up longer than our pro list, somehow we think now God must have missed it. Tell your neighbor, say, God, God never misses it, never misses it. Just, because just because you don't see it. You don't see it. God doesn't miss it just because you don't see it. You don't see how it's going to happen, but God already knows how he's going to bring manifestation to you. He just needs your cooperation so that you don't cancel out what he's already placed in your life. So then he says this. He says in verse 22, he says, and therefore... Because of Abraham's stance, because of his posture, because of his behavior, it says, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. It says that during a time where Abraham couldn't even be righteous, he didn't have the Holy Spirit on the inside of him. Jesus, had, had, G- Jesus was, 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 hadn't even come and hadn't ascended yet. He didn't have, all he had in him was a word. That's all he had was a word. You and I have the presence of God on the inside of us. It said, but because he couldn't have the presence of God inside of him, but because he believed about what the presence of God had to say, it was imputed to him as right. In other words, he got counted righteous. In other words, it says, listen, we're going to count this as though the Holy Spirit was inside of you. You remember when, when, when Peter and Jesus was having this conversation and Peter said something and then Jesus said to him, he said, flesh and blood did not reveal this unto you. See, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to Abraham. He received that of the spirit. And because he did, it was imputed to him for righteousness. You don't have to know today what God is going to do for you tomorrow. You just got to believe God's going to do something for you tomorrow. You don't have to know how God's going to get you back in school. You don't know how God's going to restore the relationship. You don't know how God's going to get you the next thing you need for your business. You don't know how God's going to restore the marriage. You don't know how God's going to save your kids. You just got to believe he can and will do it. But all that comes based on a word. People ask Pastor now sometimes, they say, how is it that you guys can say that something's going to happen and it comes to pass? Well, two things. One, we don't make a habit of just saying stuff we want if God ain't said it. Because a lot of people do. They want something, and then they just say God said it. I would love to live in San Diego. (laughs) Did my excitement show? But I can't just say, well, God told us to go to San Diego just because I want to go. That's not how life works. What did God say? Because what most people do is they go and they say, here's what I want to do. And they say, come on, God, co-sign. Come, come, come co-sign, God. You say I had a desire of my heart. 
But you forget about the part where he says, I give you the desire that you may ask me for the desire. So if you're asking me for something that I didn't put there, I ain't obligated to give it to you. We get to this place where we just want God to basically be our wingman. We like, here's what I want to do in life, and God, I want you to come alongside me, and I want you to make this thing happen. But the Bible says that's not how it happened for Abraham. Abraham got a word from God. And then when he got the word from God, he believed it. The Bible says that it was counted or imputed to him for righteousness sakes. It says in verse 22, and therefore it was imputed unto him for righteousness. Verse 23, now it was not written, watch this, for his sake alone. We're not reading this just for Abraham's sake. That it was imputed to him, but it was written for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we what? Believe. The key conditioning for whether or not you receive what God has for you is based on your belief. It is based on your belief. No matter how extreme God has said something to Sean and I, if we believe God said it, we just believe it. We haven't seen all of the things come to pass yet, but that's just because it's processed. But we know it's done when God says it. When God says us, it's, I, I used, when I, we first came back up here, Jimmy and I were having a conversation. And we were just talking. And one of the things I told him is one of the things I knew I had to work on as a, as a personal development thing, I had to work on hearing God say something and then getting frustrated when it don't happen fast enough. That was my issue. Once, once I have learned to settle into that when God says something, it's mine, the stress of not seeing it leaves. Yeah, that's right. now, I, now, rather than being frustrated when I'm trying to see what's going to happen three weeks from now, I'm just enjoying the next 21 days. Yeah. Every day I'm just enjoying the day. Because if I'm not enjoying the day, some of, some of you, your life is not as pleasant as it can be because you're stressed about stuff that hadn't come to pass yet. But the truth of the matter is, if you just focus on the day and how good God is, before you realize it, the thing you were stressing on would be right there in your life. There's a, there's a thing they show on, on Facebook once or twice a year. It comes up. It's got a picture of a man, and he's digging, like through a tunnel. And he gets almost to the end, and he turns around to go back, and his last little bit, there were diamonds on the other side. That's how some of us are sometimes. We're praising God, we're honoring God, we're loving God, and the devil knows if he can just try to get us so frustrated to delay our blessing, we'll turn around and walk away from the thing God's made available. But the truth of the matter is if you get faith and you begin to trust in God and you begin to be obedient to the things that God has told you, it's impossible for manifestation not to show up. Amen? So how does we live a life where manifestation doesn't show up? Let's go to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, and I want us to look at verse 1 and verse 2. I'm going to read it from the Amplified. You can read it from wherever you have. We'll end up at the same place. It says, therefore, while the promise of entering into God's rest still holds and is still offered to us today, let us be afraid. And that word afraid there doesn't mean be terrified. It means let us, let us be mindful to distrust it. At least any of you should think he has come too late and has come short of it. In other words, let me tell you something. I don't care how long ago it was that God gave you a word about X. You can decide today to revitalize that word. If, if, you have, if, you, if, you have, if you have a promise from God 
But you got to the place where you say, you know what, I just don't ever see how that's going to come to pass. I, I'm going to be fine. And here's we, we say things like this. I'm going to love Jesus whether he blessed me or not. Yeah, but that ain't his character. You know, if he don't do nothing else for me, I'll be satisfied. Not me. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I have to be honest. Lord, you promised some stuff. And I ain't serving you for the stuff, but you promised some stuff. So if don't nothing else happen, I'm not just going to be satisfied. But we tell ourselves those kind of things, and it sounds good, and it placates us into this place of not having an expectation from God. I have an expectation for God to bless me. I have an expectation for God to do certain things in my life. God has promised me some things about me and my grandchildren. I'm going to see it come to pass. I'm not going to be sitting there talking about if he don't ever bless me, I'll be satisfied. No, I won't be satisfied. I'm satisfied in him, but in him he's made me many promises. And so here's what the Bible says. Verse 2, it says, for in, I'm going to read out the Amplified in this one. Verse 2, it says, for unto us, say that's me, was the gospel preached as well as unto them. It says, but the word preached did not profit them. Why? Because it was not mixed with what? Faith in them that what? Heard it. Okay? Verse 3 says, for we which have believed do enter into rest. Notice, if you are struggling about something that God has promised you, you, can, you don't have to have a conversation with your friend, not, not with your family, not with the pastor, not with anybody. If there's an area in your life, you can be your own benchmark. You can say, if I'm struggling to, if I'm struggling about this thing God's promised, if, it's, if I'm not resting in it, then I'm not believing. And that's a hard thing to have to look at yourself because everybody says, oh, I believe God. But most times they say, I believe God, but. I'm believing God. You start talking to somebody and you start, you start talking faith to them, people get indignant with you. I, I, I believe God, but you just don't know. I, I just keeps it real. <laughs> now, wait a minute. You believe God, but you keep it real? Which is it? God's real or your situation's real? Which one is real? Because whichever one you believe is real is the one that's going to get all your attention. And the truth, listen, there, 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 there were, listen, there were times, and I told somebody, there, there were times uh, when, when, I, when I wasn't working that I was trusting and believing God, but I, I, according to what I thought. But every day I woke up, I was overwhelmed with whether I, that was going to be the day I was going to get the job or not. That's not believing God. And the, and, and the reality is I had to look myself in the face and say, you say you believe in God, but you don't because people who believe God don't stress every day. Y'all don't believe me, tell your neighbor. Say, neighbor. neighbor. Say, if you believe in God, you will not, you will not be, stressing be stressing every day. Now, I have to teach that in balance. I got to teach it in balance because people will go home and people be like, well, Pastor, I could just sleep and not worry about nothing. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. What I'm saying is you can tell stress is that thing on the inside of you. It's that antsy feeling you get. It's that unsure feeling you get. It's not that, you know what, I'm planning and I'm working and I'm doing those kind of things. No, stress is that thing when you're like, oh, my God, if this don't happen today, I don't know what I'm going to do. And it's important that you understand that because if you get to that place, you can fix it because the word will fix your faith. Some of us are deficient in the word. We, we, I mean, we, we high on praise and worship. Yeah. Come on. 
We high on conferences. I, we got some of the most anointed notebooks there are. Our notebooks can get anybody up out the grave. Because we done wrote down every revelation. We done done all, but nothing's on the inside of us. And sometimes we need to bathe ourselves in the word of God so that the word of God can cause that stress to dissipate in our life and cause our faith to rise. Amen? Amen. So here's what I want to talk about. Let's talk about faith just a little bit. First of all, faith is the fundamental duty of every Christian. I tell people all the time, churches do people a disservice. They spend every single week talking to the masses about how they need to get saved. But most people are already saved. I didn't say most people was living holy. I didn't say most people was, was, was living righteous. All those things we put on people. But people who have, we live in America. This is not a third world country, communist country where we, where we and we live in the South. We live in the Bible Belt. But, but before you had a whole bunch of proclivities to do wrong, somebody took you to church. Somebody took you to vacation Bible school. You believed in Jesus. So most of us have made a commitment that we believe that Jesus is Lord. And you can say what you want to about adding all the other stuff that's required. The only requirement for salvation is to believe. So most of the masses of people are born again. Now, they still got flesh issues. They still got soul issues because most churches don't ever move beyond salvation. They don't go to personal development. They don't deal with people's. They don't talk about people's character. They don't have church where they talk about the fact that you may love God, but you mean it all get out. And you need to fix that. But they, don't, they, 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 they talk about being saved, but they don't talk to the men about how they ought to treat their wives because the Bible says that if you don't treat your wife right, your prayers won't be answered. No, what we say is we're the head of the family. That's what we teach until all hell breaks loose. And then once that happens, we want to abdicate to somebody else. That's the kind of stuff that happens. So the truth of the matter is we got to get to the place where we go, you know what? We got to, yes, we want to offer you salvation. But once people are saved, what else are we going to give them? What else are we going to teach them? We got to teach people about faith. Because once you are saved, the most fundamental thing you need to learn how to do is to operate in your faith. The Bible says this very plainly. It says all of the promises of God, all of the promises of God, all of the promises, all of the promise, all of the promises of God are received by So you don't get God's promises without faith. It doesn't say all the promises of God are received by salvation. Once you get saved, that's not the end all. We got to teach people about the importance of their faith. You can just write this down, John 6, 28 and 29. And the reason you ain't got to try to write the, all the scriptures down is I'm going to put this up in the group. If you just want the scriptures, you can write them down. John 6, 28 and 29 says this. It says, then said they unto him, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? That's a great question. What do we as a church need to do to work the works of God? What do we need to do to be a blessing to the community? What do we need to do to be a blessing to each other? What do we need to do to make people realize that God is so awesome? Well, in John 6, 28 and 29, he says, Jesus answered them and said unto them. Now, now if we had our screen up here, it'd be in the red. This is Jesus talking. It says, this is the work of God. Watch this. He gives it to them. He says, they say, what do we do that we can do the works of God? He said, here is the works of God. 
that you believe on him who has sent him. He says, if you want to know, if you want to know how to do anything God's asked you to do, it starts with believing God. That's the first thing. You got to start with believing God. God tells you to do something. Do you believe God said it? Do you believe God said it? <laughs> Do you believe God said it? <laughs> your faith is an indispensable element to your success. Your faith is an indispensable element to your faith. Here's what it says in Hebrews 11 and 1. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of what? Things not, come on, come on. Things not what? Seen. So my faith is not based on stuff I can see. I used to say this all the time. Do you, do you have to have faith that that wall is there? No. Why? So you can see it. So if, 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 if you say, if you got $100 in your account, and your water bill is $10, do you got to have faith to pay for it? No. You just go to the bank account, get $10, out and pay for it. You have to have faith for the things you can't see. And what happens is most people want God to tell them something and then show them. Because they don't want to exercise their faith. But the kingdom of God is predicated on you exercising your faith. Verse 6 says, this is his, but without faith, it is what? Impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must what? Believe, number one, that he is indeed God. And number two, that he is what? A rewarder of them who do what? Seek after him. So, so you got to, you can't, that's what I was telling Pastor Sean, we were talking the other day, and I was saying, the problem with most people is that they do believe in God. They do believe in Jesus. They do believe that Jesus will heal rich. They do believe that Jesus will make Graham rich. They do believe those things, just not about their own life. And that's the problem. Me believing God's gonna, God can and will do something for rich is great. But what is that going to do for me if I don't believe he'll do it for me? Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, neighbor. God, God is no, is no respecter, respecter of persons. I have seen my spiritual mother believe God for some awesome things. And there are times when I think, wow, I don't even know if God could do all that for me. Because that's what happens sometimes. We compare ourselves to other people. But the truth of the matter is God is not a respecter of persons. The only limitation God has to blessing me in the same way he blesses Pastor Cynthia is me. It's me. So you look at other people, you go, man, God's really blessing them. He'll do it for you too. They, 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 you, and, and, and sometimes here's what we say. Oh, well, they, they get blessed like that because they got a good education. You know how many people get blessed who don't have an education at all? But it's easy for us as humans to make excuses for why we don't have to exercise our faith. Because if I can make an excuse for why I don't exercise my faith, I can, I can feel better about my life and the mediocrity that I'm living. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, I was not built for average. Amen. You were not built for average. Amen. Our faith is important because it's essential to us receiving answered prayer. How many of y'all believe in prayer? I mean, I believe in prayer. But just because you holler ain't prayer. The, the length of time you have a dialogue 
is not prayer. Prayer is about communication. That word co means two. Two people talking. That means there ought to be some times where you are talking, but there ought to be some time where God's talking. There ought to be some time where God is talking and you listening, and there ought to be times when God will be listening when you're talking. Prayer is about you talking to God about what he has said to you. Prayer is not a time where you go into your closet. And I see people on Facebook all the time. They talk about, I went in my prayer closet. I told God everything I needed. He knew for you walk in. He wasn't like, oh, my gosh, you need all of that? He wasn't shocked. He wasn't like, oh, you need all of that? I didn't know. No. Prayer is about you going in and petitioning the Lord. Say, Lord, I thank you for all that you've done. I thank you for who you are. You, you, you lay your life out. You say, now, God, give me some instruction on how to go to, re- to receive everything I'm believing for. And if you'll be quiet long enough, you'll hear God say something. Most people go in their prayer closet and they just blabber the whole time. You're just talking, 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 talking. And when you get through, all you are is tired. You don't have any more revelation about what you're supposed to do. You don't know how you're supposed to proceed. You just got dry mouth, and that's it. Because you just talked the whole time. Here's what the Bible says in James 1, 5 through 6. It says, if any of you lack wisdom, it says all you got to do is ask God, that God gives to all men liberally and unabrading, and it shall be given to you. It says, but let him who asks, ask in Faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavers is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. He says, when you go in and you're talking to God, then you're asking God for something. He says, when you pray, believe you receive it when you pray. Or when, one, something, one translation says, when you say. So you go, go praying, and I, and I think it's really important that we understand that, praying is not asking God in hopes that he'll, he'll be a benevolent father and give it. Prayer is not your Christmas list. See, see, Canaan can help y'all with a Christmas list. Because on Canaan's Christmas list, she got three collars. And on, her, on, on the far right side of her Christmas list, it's the stuff that she say, I would like, but you may not be able to get. In the middle, it's the stuff that she really wants, and, and based on her estimation, I can get that. And the stuff on the left-hand side of her paper, it's all the stuff that she just, she just knows she's going to get that. It's like, yeah, she just write those things. Her petition is like, all right, here you go. The stuff on the left, you ought to be able to get it. The middle stuff, I'm not sure. The right stuff will be great. Some of us are petitioning God like that. But God can get everything on your list. The problem is sometimes we don't even want to ask God for something because we act like, and maybe because we, we relate to our God sometimes the way we relate to our natural parents. And sometimes we knew what things to ask our natural parents for. Amen. Depending on the store you went to, you know what you could ask for. I grew up in Conway, so we had Fred's. Fred's didn't have a lot of expensive stuff. So when you went in Fred's, you could pretty much ask for anything. But back during that time, T.J. Maxx and Marshall was the high-dollar place in Conway. You couldn't be just running around snatching stuff off the rack at T.J. Maxx. But I got your hand popped. So you, so you started to gauge when was the appropriate time to ask for certain things. But God says, I got cattle on 10,000 hills. Ask me for what you want. One time I was praying, and the Lord literally said to me, he said, is that what you're asking me for? 
I'm like, well, since you asking. <laughs> he was like, listen, you got to get to the place where you enter into the throne room boldly and ask God for what you desire. Because God ain't got a problem with you having it as long as it doesn't have you. The other thing about faith is that faith brings peace and justification to our lives. The Bible says in Romans 5, 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We talked about that during that series. You and I have faith, but our faith is not in our ability to get God to move. Our faith is in God's grace, which is already his movement. I trust God because God has already done. I'm not trusting God so that I can get him to do something. I'm not trying to manipulate God with my behavior. My, the, the reason I obey God is the same reason that I do the things I'm supposed to do for my wife, because I love her. That, that, that's, that, that's why I do... That's why when people say, well, why do you tithe? I love God. Why do you pray? I love God. Why do you do anything? I love God. Why do you work with such? I love God. Everything comes back to loving God. Even God says this. He says, when you work, he says, you're not supposed to work unto yourself. Who are you supposed to work unto? The Lord. I'm supposed to work unto the Lord. So if I'm working at my marriage, it ought to be working unto the I told my wife a lot of times, it's a lot of stuff I just didn't get over the last 23 years. I just didn't get it. Okay? But once I get it, and once I understand it, now it becomes my obligation to do it, not just because it makes her happy, but because my work is unto the Lord. And so it brings peace and justification to my life. Faith also produces victories. You cannot have a victory in your life without having faith. The Bible talks about, we won't read the whole story about the three Hebrew boys, but if you remember, when they went into that, into, into that uh, furnace, one of the things they said is, they said this, they said, our God whom we serve is able to deliver. He's able. They didn't, say, they didn't even say he will. They, 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 just, they said, here's what we know. Our God is able to deliver us. And, 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 and the fact that they were confident in who God was it's what caused them to be able to walk out of the furnace without even smelling like smoke. Why? It says, our God who serve is, whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And then it says, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. And people, when they read that, they, they sometimes think that they meant, oh, God's going to take us out of the fire. Here's what they really meant. They said, look, you got the power to put us in there. But whether you put us in there or not, we ain't going to bow down to you. And because we're not going to bat on you, we trust God can get us out of here. And even if he don't get us out of here and we die, we're still going to be with him. Pastor Sean said something this morning. She said, some of us haven't trusted God enough to obey God, even if it costs us our life. And that's the problem sometimes. We only are willing to go so far in trusting God. We teeter to the line. And if it gets tight, we back up. But the truth of the matter is, if you ever get bold enough to step over that line, you'll start to see manifestation come to pass in your life. Amen? So now let's talk about, about trust, because trust is important. And, and Pastor and I was having this conversation about, well, Pastor, what's the difference between faith and trust? Let me just give you, and I'm glad she asked me that because it helped me to think of an example for you. So faith is based on something that you cannot what? 
See, trust is based on evidence. Okay? Now, why is trust, is, why is trust important? We want to believe God. God says, hey, I'm going to do this thing for you. You can't see it, right? All right, you can't see it. You got faith. But trust is good because trust is the thing. Faith connects with your spirit. Trust connects with your soul. The reason trust is important is because trust is based on evidence. Imagine this. Imagine you're in a busy city. And in that busy city, you come to the crosswalk. The crosswalk has a red sign up that says, stop, you stop. It changes to the little man that's walking or whatever. And now you're going to proceed across that crosswalk. You are trusting based on empirical evidence that everybody else in that city that you don't know, they could be drunk, they could be texting, they could be an inexperienced driver, but you are trusting based on prior evidence that if a sign on the other side of the street is flashing a color that tells them to stop, that they are going to stop. A vehicle that weighs 3,000 pounds going 10 or 15 miles an hour. And you just go across the street like this. Why? Because you trust it. Why do you trust it? Why do you, why, why do you not freak out and go, oh, my God, I can't walk across here. How do I know they're going to stop? These people are strangers. I don't know them. Because you trust the evidence. And God says, try me, and I'll give you the evidence. He says, because once you, he says, your first job is to believe. But once you believe, I will give you evidence that you can hold on to so that your soul can be anchored that the next time I tell you to do something, you won't even flinch. You'll walk across the street just like you would if it was a crosswalk. So you gotta, you got to have faith in God, and you got to hang in there long enough that God can give you some evidence. I got some evidence that God done showed up in my life before. Anybody else got any evidence that God done showed up? My marriage was messed up, but it ain't messed up no more. I got some evidence that God didn't show up. So the next time God tells me to do something, I am trusting the evidence that he gave me before. So now my soul is not talking me out of what God has told me. The problem for most people is they don't hang with God long enough to get the evidence. But the Bible admonishes us to trust God. It says in Psalms 37 and 5, Psalms 37, verse 3 through 5, it says, Trust in the Lord and do good. So shall thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. It says, Commit thy ways unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He, so if, here's what I'll tell you. If God has ever done anything for you, then God can do everything for you. And that's got to be your that's got to be your posture. If God now, now if He ain't never did nothing for you, man, you need to have a conversation. But I'm telling you, God is and, and, and people and, and he, I mean even beyond salvation because it, let's just be real, you can't see your salvation right now. You know you got it, but you can't see it. But since you've been walking with God, the tangible things God has done. My first date with my wife, she came to Conway to a party with me. Them jokers got to shooting in the party. <laughs> shooting bullets. Because <laughs> I want to be clear that I ain't just talking about they was, they was shooting game. 
They were firing a weapon in a skating rink that had one exit in and one exit out. I got some evidence that God's been good to me. So, so it's not hard for me to believe that God will do something else for me. He saved me from dying. I remember one time I was 16 years old. I thought it would be funny when me and my friend, we was racing somebody uh, on a two-lane highway on our way to Mayflower, driving a car 120 miles an hour with the lights off at night. I got some evidence that God will save babies and fools when I was 16. I wasn't a baby. What I'm saying to you is that. If you <laughs> what I'm telling you is that if you are not careful, you will begin to judge whether or not God can bless you based off of the stuff that you think is presently happening in your life. Rather than being like Abraham, or think about it, David said the same thing. What did David say when he got ready to fight the Philistines? He said, the Lord delivered the lion into my hand. He said, I killed the bear. He started rehearsing the evidence that, he had, that God had shown him. So he had a belief that when he went out there to face Goliath, the same God who delivered the, the lion out of his hand, delivered the bear out of his hand, the same God was going to deliver that uncircumcised Philistine out of his hand. So I'm asking you, why are you focused on the losses rather than focusing on the wins? The Bible says in Psalms 118, it says, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put your confidence in man. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put your confidence in man. The truth of the matter is, some of us believe our friends more than we believe God. God says to us, he says, hey, I'm going to get you a car. You don't know how that's going to happen. Your friends say to you, I'm going to be by to pick you up at 5. You ready at 4.35. <laughs> you trusting your friend more than you trusting God. And there's nothing wrong with trusting your friends, but the Bible says it's better to put your trust in God or in the Lord than in the confidence of man. Amen? Proverbs 3 and 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lead not to thy own what? Understanding. But in all thy ways do what? Acknowledge him. And what is he going to do? Direct you down the right path direct you down the right path. Isaiah 12 and 2 says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also is become my salvation, or he's become my deliverance. Isaiah chapter 12, verse 2, he says, The Lord is my deliverance. And so you have to get to the place where you understand that trusting God is going to be based on evidence but i gotta stick with god long enough to get some evidence listen the first time you may not even remember the first time you ever walked across a crosswalk more than likely you walked across with an adult you wasn't trusting the crosswalk you was trusting the adult your trust was in the fact that this adult knew what they was doing and that they weren't going to get you in a situation where you were going to be harmed so the truth of the matter is we can trust easy based on it. It don't take 10 times. Hear what I'm saying? It don't take. You're like, well, the Lord blessed me one time, but I don't know. You walked across the crosswalk one time and didn't get hit. Now, the rest of your life, you've been jetting across it. So what has God done for you one time? 
find, 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 find one thing God has done, stick it on your refrigerator. And anytime doubt comes in your mind, read it. What did God do? How did God do it? That ought to be your confidence that whatever you're going through right now, this present state, it ain't that bad. It ain't that bad. And I said this before and I'll say it again. I guarantee you, you can count how many people's in here. Every single person in here, if you go out to Northwest Arkansas, you can easily find at least five to ten people who will trade, trade their life with yours just like that. I saw just yesterday down in Fayetteville, down there on MLK, they bulldozed an entire homeless camp. Bulldozed the entire homeless camp because one lady went down there on Facebook and talked about how it was so much trash and all this stuff down there, and now she feel good about herself. But what did you do for those people, though? You got the city cleaned up, but what about the people? But the truth of the matter is, here's what happens. We, we get to this place where, where we just we, we won't allow the Holy Spirit to talk to us long enough so that we can just begin to trust God. But if you just trust God, I'm telling you special things that come to your life. Amen. Here's what the Bible says about promises. There are special promises for those who trust the Lord. Psalms 32 and 10. Just write this one down. Psalms 32 and 10. It says, many sorrows shall be to the wicked. But he that trusts in the Lord, I love this, mercy shall compass him about. He that trusts in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. Now, what is mercy? Okay. Mercy is God's willingness to get involved in your situation. He says when you trust God, there is a willingness on God's behalf to get involved in your situation. That means when circumstances show up, and listen, in life, it don't matter whether you're a Christian or not, you're going to have something happen going to catch you off guard. Yeah. Take your neighbor say, neighbor, neighbor. in life, in we, life. All we all get sucker punched. You do. Something happens, you get hit, you take the wind out of it, you don't know. But listen, trusting God ensures that he is willing to get involved in your situation. And there are some situations that we get ourselves in, but there are some situations we're just victims of. But God doesn't make a distinction. And when you trust him, he gets involved in both of those situations. Then the Bible says this in Psalms 34 and 22. It says, the Lord redeemeth the soul. The soul is what? Mind, will, emotions, imagination, and your intellect. It says, the Lord redeemeth that part of you. It says, and none of them that trust in him shall ever be desolate or shall never be without. So that's my confidence. Even when I'm in a situation and it doesn't look like it's going to work out, I'm like, I'm trusting God. God said, if I trust him, I won't ever come up on the short end of the stick. Now, it may not be in my timing. And I think that's the problem sometimes people have. People are like, well, I need God to show up Wednesday at noon. And you're trying to determine when God's going to show up. But the fact of the matter is when you trust God, it, it, it's, it's not a finite time. It's infinite. So I'm, I, I'm, I'm trusting God. I'm trusting God for a building. For how long? Till we get the building. That's how long I'm trusting God. How long is that going to take? Till we get the building. <laughs> I mean, but, but, but people don't get that, though. They're like, well, how long are you going to do that? Until it happens. I believe, God, I'm going to sell my house. When? When I sell my house. I believe, God, I'm getting a new car. When are you going to get it? When it show up. When I go down there and get it. it believing God doesn't have an expiration date. Believing God doesn't have an expiration date. 
And so then what I have to learn to do is I have to learn that during the time that I get a word from God, between the time that I'm trusting God based on the evidence that he's shown me, and before manifestation shows up is that third key element that we talked about when we got started, and that's the word obedience. Take your neighbor and say, neighbor. neighbor. Those who obey God, who obey God. Always, always live the good life. I ain't making that up. Let's look at some, I mean, Isaiah 119. Listen, we, we tried our best to drill this into our kids. I, I mean, even when they weren't living it, drilling it into them. Isaiah 119 says this, if you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. One translation says that if you don't, you're going to die in the street like a dog. <laughs> I love that. It says if you don't, you're going to die in the street like a dog. But if you are willing. See, some people are willing, but they're not willing and obedient. And then some people are obedient, but they're not willing. And I don't even call those people obedient. They're compliant. Because, you, because this denotes that you got to have a heart to do and then a will to do. He says, so if you, if you are willing and obedient, it says you shall eat the good of the land. What's the good of the land? Everything God's intended for you. Everything God's intended for you. Whatever it is that God's intended for you to have is available to you, not based on whether somebody else can get it, not based on whether uh, how big it is. It's just yours based on your ability to, to, to be willing and obedient to the Lord. But again, this is not a heaven-hell issue. And I think sometimes people get into uh, heaven-hell issues about things that shouldn't be. I go back to what I talked about earlier about tithing. You are not going to go to hell for not tithing. Pastors get mad at me when I say that, but I tell them all the time. I've said that for two years, and the tithes in our church have gone up. Why? Because the people who are going to tithe, <laughs> and the people who not, and it ain't got nothing to do with whether they're going to heaven or hell or not. They don't care. No, here's what I mean. When, when, when you were living your life, right? All of us heard if you fornicate, you were going to go to hell. We all heard that. You ain't stop everybody from fornicating. The first time you may have been terrified. But you fooled around and didn't die and go to hell. You was like, oh, suck it, suck it now. That's exactly right, Tamika. That's what they said. We, we in our group, we had a conversation. We're like, they lied to us. You don't go to hell for that. But the truth of the matter is it's not a heaven or hell issue. We tithe or we don't tithe, and it really has to do with a heart issue. It's a heart issue. And here's the reason that's important. Sometimes what happens is you start going to church, a church like ours, and we'll start teaching stuff about obeying God, and we'll start to do things to get you free from, from, from religion and all that stuff. And then what happens is you'll start saying stuff like this, Lord, I just want to obey you. And the Lord like, cool. And he'll start talking to you about some areas that you want to change. And you're like, yes, thank you, Lord. <laughs> you know how you do. You know how you do. You know when it's good. You know how you act. 
And, and, and the Lord starts talking to you about some other areas, and you're like, yes, yes. And then he may touch you as one area, and you're like, oh, I don't know, Lord. I don't know. And, and then the Lord says, okay, and I need you to tithe, too. You're like, devil! I rebuke you! No, no, no. A little yeast makes the whole cake rise. So when you ask God to talk to you about, about being obedient in one area, he doesn't just stay in that one area that you want to be real cute about and get fixed. He starts talking to you about all kinds of areas in your life. Which is why I'm a firm believer. I ain't got to talk to people about tithing. I need to talk to you about loving God. You start loving God, God will start talking to you about everything in your life that's hindering you from loving him. He'll start talking to you about everything you need to change. So we talk about obedience. <laughs> Let's look at Deuteronomy 11. Deuteronomy 11, 26 and 27. I love this. He says, Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse, a blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day. He said, But the choice is yours. He never said, I'm going to put a curse on you. He said, I'm setting them both out there. You get to pick the one you want. So if a curse comes, God didn't send it. You chose it. And then the Bible says this. It says, a curse doesn't come without a cause. Don't want to talk about that? That's what the Bible says. It, we talk about blessings and cursing, but the Bible says a curse doesn't, it says it like this, a curse doesn't happen without a cause. So if there's a curse, there's a precursor to the curse. There's a reason why you're cursed. He says, and the reason that there's a curse is not because God did it, but you picked it. That's the hardest thing for us to grab. We picked the curse. I ain't trying to be funny, but people mad at, at, at Arkansas football right now. But we picked the coach. We picked him. We picked him. So, 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 so the truth of the matter is, is that any time you end up in a situation, it's because something was done before. We got rid of Petrino. Okay, I understand why. I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it. We got rid of him. We went and got someone who we felt like would be safe and different in their character. And since he's been here, watch this, hadn't been no major scandals. For the most part, his, his student athletes have behaved themselves on and off the field. But everything they weren't doing when Petrino was here. Somebody just forgot to mention winning was important. <laughs> But what? But now, but now that you know that, the next pick can be a person who does all those things. And mm -hmm. a curse doesn't come without a cause. There's always a precursor to the curse. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 30 and 19, it says, I call heaven and earth to record on this day. It says, I have said before you life and death, blessings and Therefore, in case you ain't smart enough to figure it out, choose life. 
He, he didn't even, now, I like him Deuteronomy because in Deuteronomy 11, he kind of told them about blessings and curses. But by the time he got to, to chapter 30, he was like, I'm tired of this. I'm just going to tell you, choose life. He said, I spent 19 chapters trying to get you to understand which one to pick. Forget that. Pick life. He said, don't just pick it for you. He said, but pick it that you and your seed may live. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor, my obedience today sets up the future for generations to come. Somebody give the Lord some praise for that. Let's finish with this. Let's go to Jeremiah 42. We're going to finish here. Jeremiah 42. We're going to go to the house. Because I, I, I'm telling you, man, this, this, this idea about, about because I think we get the faith part. I, I, I hope that we understand that we all have some evidence to base our trust on. So now obeying God is not obeying God because I don't want something bad to happen to me. It's out of an act of love. But out of my act of love, I do get to skip some bad stuff. We, we have this conversation all the time with our kids, especially the ones that are a little older, the three older ones. We study them all the time. There are two ways you can gain knowledge and experience. You can either bump your head and get it, or you can listen to someone else who has bumped their head and got it. You can get it either way. The choice is up to you, but you don't need a butt whooping for every lesson. You just don't. You just don't. You don't. You don't. You don't. You, you, listen, so, some of us didn't have parents who had the wherewithal to help us matriculate life in the way that would have been best for us. Don't mean they didn't want to do it. They just didn't have the access to the opportunity or whatever. We have. Our kids ought to not have to go through the same thing we went through. I ate, I ate them nasty ramen noodles in college because that's what I had to eat. Uh, I'm sorry. Some of y'all like feel like ramen noodles. <laughs> uh, my, whoa, whoa. Hey, 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 hey. Y'all hold up. Hold up. You'd have thought I talked about Jesus the way y'all came at me about them noodles. <laughs> I used to eat the packaged Raymond noodles <laughs> with the cheese, with the with the flavored powder. <laughs> but listen, that that's because I had to. If our kids listen to us, they can do it by choice. And that's the difference. It's difference when you have to do something and when you choose to do something. And if you learn to live according to the word, you can. Pastor Dollar said this so good one time. He said he was driving a Volkswagen Beetle. You know when they, those new little Beetles came out, the new ones? He said, and somebody asked him, they said, why in the world would you be driving a Volkswagen Beetle? He said, because it's my choice to. He said, it'd be different if it's all I had to drive. He said, but I can choose the Bentley, the Phantom, or the Volkswagen Beetle. And I'm saying to you that we can learn to live our lives that we do certain things by choice, not by force. And so the Bible says when we begin to obey God, we get choices. Amen? Jeremiah 42. Let's read this real quick. Uh, let me see if I got that right. Mm. No, 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 no. That's not right. Hold on. Uh, maybe it's seven. 
There's a scripture here. Uh, let me find it. It's, it talks about trusting in man. Um, uh, hold on a minute. I wrote the wrong one down. Doing my forty two is good, but it ain't what I want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is Jeremiah. I don't think I wrote the right one. Uh-uh, I'm going to read it. You cannot have a smartphone and be dumb. Amen? <laughs> Jeremiah 17, 5. Jeremiah 17. I tell my kids all the time, they ask me a question. I'm like, what did Google say? <laughs> I mean, Google it first. I mean, we live in a generation where literally information is at your fingertips. What time do so-and-so close? Google it. <laughs> Go to their website. Jeremiah 17. Now look at Jeremiah 17, verse 5. Here's what it says. We're going to end with this. It says, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusts in who? Man. And maketh what? Flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. So now notice he, he, he's setting up something here. He says, Here's why a curse comes. Because we just established it doesn't come without a call. He says, Here's why it comes. A man puts his trust in man, okay? He puts his trust more in man than in God. He then says he makes flesh his arm. In other words, he says he uses his own knowledge and abilities, his connections, his insights, all of the stuff that he can produce, he uses that as his strength and as his might. He said when a person does that, it is inevitable that a curse will be attached to them. He then says this in verse number in verse six. It says, "For he shall be like a heath in the desert, or an oven in the desert, and shall not see." Watch this. He will not even be able to see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land, and not inhabited. He says, "Not only he says, not only is the curse going to come. Here's what's going to produce. It's going to make you blind to what God wants to do for you." He says, when you start trusting your own self and your own abilities, your own skills, your own talents, your own network, when you start thinking you can produce everything God needs to do in, out of your own strength, he says, you won't even see when God sends help your way. Come on. Do you know that's why some folks can't accept help? They can't see that because they're so focused on their own ability, they can't see that God's sending help their way. Nobody is designed to be an island. God gives you a promise. God gives you a dream. He knew who you were going to need to help make that dream come to pass. But because you're doing it all yourself, you're doing everything on your own, you can't even see that the good help is there. He said, and then what's going to happen is you're going to inhabit it something. He said, but it ain't going to be what you want. He said, you're going to inhabit a dry place. Let me hear you. If there's anything you need, if there's anything you don't need in the desert, it's oven. That's what he said. He said, you're going to inherit an oven in the desert. Why do you need a, a, a oven in the desert? So, in other words, I, when I study that, I hear God saying, you're going to keep collecting things that, don't, that don't, don't bring you to your promise. You're going to keep collecting stuff and getting stuff and surrounding yourself with stuff and people who don't do anything to get you to your promise. Why? Because you put all your trust in you. I tell people all the time, people say, well, because I've had people say to me before, you know, well, you're blessed because you were able to go to school and get all those degrees. Listen, let me tell you something. I appreciate that. I bless the Lord for that. I'm also paying student loan debt for that. But let me tell you something. Those degrees only got me to the table. 
God touched the people's heart who gave me the opportunities. If it wasn't for God, getting at the table don't do nothing for you. So no matter what you get in life, you got to remember, it's God who causes you to will and to prosper. Verse 7 says, but blessed is the man that trusts in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. Now notice the difference. Notice the contrast. Verse 8, for he shall be as a tree planted by the waters and that spreadeth out her roots by the river and shall not see when what? Heat comes. He says, literally, now he's taking two people. He says, this first person, they're going to have an oven in the desert. They're going to inhabit it. Everything that ain't no good. He's talking about a salt land. That means you can't grow nothing. You can't produce anything. He says, but this same man in this same place who puts his trust in the Lord, he's going to be like a tree who got deep roots, who stretch out no matter how far it needs to go until it gets to a river. Why is that important? If the roots get to a river, what does the tree always have? Supply. Tell your neighbor, say, neighbor. Trust in God, Trust in God. Always, always produces supply. Always produces supply. He said, you're going to be like the man right here who is like a tree planted by the rivers of living water. They're going to branch out. He says, watch this, and you won't even see when heat comes. What is heat? Heat represents trouble. He says, you can literally be in a place that is supposed to be dry and brittle, and God will keep sustaining you. He'll keep supplying you. Even when everything else around you is withered and dead, you'll still be bright and green. He says, when you trust God, that's the difference between those two people. It says, for he shall be as a tree planted by the, by the waters that spreadeth out her roots by the river and shall not see when he comes. Watch this. But her leaf shall be what? Green. And shall not, I love this, be careful in the year of drought. Now, what does that mean, shall not be careful in the year of drought? In other words, God says, literally, when you're trusting God and everybody else is cutting back, you ain't got to be thinking about cutting back. You don't have to have a cutback mentality. Everybody's saying, oh, you better stop spinning. You better, you know, I remember, I remember when people told us years ago when gas prices went up way high. It was like $3.68, almost $4 a gallon. People was like, y'all, y'all better get rid of that SUV for what? And put the kids on the roof? Uh, we, what we going to do? We got five kids. We got five kids. How are we going to get them where we need to go by cutting back and getting a small car? We better learn to believe God. And God used his scripture. He used, to, he used to tell me all the time, because what you don't realize is during that time, it took $100 to go to Conway and $100 to come back. It took $200 a week. The church didn't have no money to pay for that. We was paying for that. $200 a week. And then on Wednesday, same thing. $100, that's $400 a week. To drive down for gas. And, and the whole time the devil is saying, you better stop going down there. You better stop doing this. You better, why? Because he wants to talk you out of. But the Bible says a man who trusts and believes God shall not see his leaf wither. I got three promotions during that time. Gas prices went down. I was like, Lord, can we get them going just one more time? I need one more promotion. Just, just one more promotion. I'm telling you, when you begin to trust God, things around you may look bad, but they won't even touch you. Amen? Amen. Let's finish this up. It says, and it says, her leaves shall be green and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding her fruit. In other words, it means that you're going to be producing no matter what's going on around you. That's the reason that I, I do care, but I don't care in this sense who the president is. God is going to be God no matter what. 
Now, that don't mean I abdicate my responsibility of speaking out and voting and voicing my opinion and all those things, but God going to still be God. Whether it's a Democrat or Republican, whether they're crooked or not crooked, I'm telling you, God is still God. And God has the ability to stretch his hand far beyond the federal government and touch your life and cause you to be blessed. Amen? And so what we've got to learn to do over these next few weeks is really get in here and start asking ourselves the question, God, which area do I need help in? Is it the obedience realm? Do I, do, do, I, do I need to focus on the things you've done for me more so I can focus on this trust issue based on the evidence? And then sometimes you've got to just ask yourself, is, do, I really, do I really believe God? It, do, I, do I have faith? Because if I have faith, I ought to have some corresponding action. But am I truly believing God or am I just going to church? Because we've said a million times before, going to a faith church don't make you a, first, a faith person. Any more than what? Standing in the garage makes you a car. You're not a Bugatti because you're in the garage. 